If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be flexible and daring, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to why do tabaxi so often end up as a collection of funny cat gifts? <laughs> and how do we develop our own unique tabaxi culture? And what would finally push us to break our rule for dice and tables? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. All right, so we're talking about tabaxi in this episode and all the ways that they can be great and all the ways that they can, without any effort, be <laughs> really frustrating and annoying. Or they can fall flat. They can be a little bit, yeah, just kind of uninspired. Absolutely. Now, I think the most uninspired way that I've played a tabaxi is when you can't really think of anything to actually do as a character, so you just think of cat cliches. <laughs> And all of the funny things that those crazy cats do. I mean, we've all seen them. The internet is mostly cats. <laughs> it's like 50 to 75% cats. And when these things are peppered in as little bits of comic relief for your tabaxi character, it can be pretty good. But if it's the core of your tabaxi character, then it can be pretty bad. We can try and get all of these cliches out of the way in one kind of swift burst, if you would like. Just so we don't have to talk about them for the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's just get them out of the way. You got pushing stuff off of other stuff. You got laying on important things. You got cramming yourself into small things. You've got the midnight zoomies. You've got dead animal gifts on the doorstep. <laughs> I've got personal experience with that, but we're not going to get into it. You're scarred. Yeah, this all makes sense because we haven't been given a ton to work with as far as the lore of the tabaxi. And I, w I would like to go on record to say that none of these cat cliches are inherently bad. For sure. They can be fun at times. But they do, I think, in a role-playing sense, have the potential to be a huge distraction from the more fun, creative work of imagining what a tabaxi culture might be like and imagining how that character has come about and the unique mannerisms of that character because you just got other stuff to fall back on like the zoomies. Yeah, batting a ball of string around. So we're going to run through our culture creation guide in this episode and apply it to Tabaxi, which you can download on our website. And hopefully we end up with something that we think adds to the conversation about Tabaxi. This is Kinship Camp where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. So normally we have a lot more to go on when we do a bit of an overview. Like, let's look at what has already been established in D&D &D lore. But if we're being honest, Tabaxi's probably the leanest of the <laughs> lore. Yeah, there's not a ton. I mean, with our Giants episode, we had so much to go off so, of. So, so much. 
But for this one, there's two core elements of the tabaxi from D&D in my mind. And that's their cats. <laughs> and they're jungle dwelling. Not a not a terribly huge leap there. Um, so sure, yeah, they're jungle folk. And that originated in the Forgotten Realms in a region called Maztica, which was originally 100% Mesoamerican-inspired. It's basically Maya and Aztec and Olmec twisted together. So, yeah, I'm really not sure how much there is to draw from. If I'm a player and I'm wanting to create a tabaxi, I go, okay, maybe some Mesoamerican flair in there, but really, again, I'm going to fall into that trap of, uh, I'm a cat, so I'm wandering, I'm curious, I'm kind of fickle, uh, yeah. yeah. And that truly is about as far as it goes, because when they were considering what gods the tabaxi worshipped, they kind of just said, um, the cat lord? <laughs> <laughs> That's the official god of the tabaxi. This is what happens when you leave this bit of writing for 4.45 on a Friday, <laughs> that's that's the result is, hey, folks, can we wrap this up? It's uh, it's Miller time. Uh, Cat Lord. Done. It's in print. <laughs> okay, so that's where we're starting from. Let's get to what we're going to add to it. So, George, you and I really like to start with a central theme to draw from when we're building out these cultures. And we had had a brief conversation around just kind of what distilled or defined cats. It boils down to something that at least helps me be creative with it is overcoming limitations. And I like that because you start to think about, you know, the crazy shit that you see cats do and their jumping capabilities and their ability to climb and get themselves into some weird situations and like every time you see a video about, oh, this mama cat uh, had a litter of kittens and somebody rescued her from, and, and it's always like they've had to cut apart a building and like dig deep into the earth to, to rescue these cats because <laughs> they put themselves in some weird situations. And they continuously surprise in what they can overcome, whether it be a a one-inch hole that they squeeze their bodies <laughs> through or whatever. And the other half of that, I think, is the jungle living. And this very much might just be where I grew up. But the jungle, to me, seems like an inherently dangerous place. You've got a lot of environmental challenges there that you have to overcome if you're going to develop a culture in that place. 100%. I mean, you and I spent some time in Costa Rica, and it feels like everything in the jungle is there to kill you. Yeah, when they show you a list of like 20 snakes and they say, make sure you remember which stripes are where on the snake so that you can be <laughs> saved when they bite you. When you look at lists of the most dangerous snakes, uh, spiders, uh, crickets, yeah, it's all in either Australia or Central America. <laughs> so let's get to the values for tabaxi. So this is the first step in our culture creator, and it's really all about trying to find out what value a culture holds in high regard at the expense of something that they've kind of tossed out for that. Totally. And we usually like to start with six. That gives you a lot to play with. So 
kind of building off of the cat side of things, I think curiosity's gotta be in there and it could be at the expense of personal safety because cats often exhibit a lack of concern for that. And I mean, it builds on the whole cats have nine lives thing and what we're just talking about, about how they get themselves into some very dangerous or precarious situations that the desire to get to the top of the tree was overriding the desire to <laughs> stay safe and yeah. have some kind of backup plan. There's certainly no end to the plan there. <laughs> For sure. Then we have storytelling, which, you know, that is part of the lore that's been established for tabaxi. And I think it's really cool. But they could have that at the expense of materialism. Valuing an item for its story, but not its material wealth. Exactly. Meaningful items. Yeah. Tokens of, of a time or a, or a story. I'm going to pick up this thing and I'm not going to hold on to it because it has material wealth, but because I've got a really killer story about how I got this. Yeah, and even as a culture, they're going to have items that represent the stories of their culture, not just things that are worth a lot of money. Totally. Another cat value could be flexibility at the expense of directness. And I like this one because it can kind of introduce some, not necessarily flaws, but a way that a character could approach all of their problems. Well, in our home game... I have a character that's a big bruiser, not head. He has a very direct way of approaching things. And I've developed a really cool relationship with the Debaxi in our group, played by our friend Tyler, who kind of looks down his nose at how direct my character is. And it plays a really cool dynamic in the game in the elaborateness of some of the plans that Tyler's character will come up with as contrasted by how just tired of these convoluted <laughs> plans my character is. But of course, as a good role player, you uh, lean into them once in a while and don't just always force your way of smashing forward. <laughs> <laughs> From the Mesoamerican side of things, I think that spiritual contact could be a interesting trait for the tabaxi at the expense of timeliness. And by that, I kind of mean like, maybe they don't value schedules and you know being places on time which also kind of feels cat-like to me <laughs> well it's interesting that you say that because again drawing upon our experience in costa rica and living down there there was a a very distinct tico time concept of when we can get there we'll get there yeah they did not have our personal culture's value of being places on time yeah so the mesoamerican cultures had a kind of an important day-night cycle. So the night was the realm of the spirits and the deceased. And okay. spirits were super important, like plants had spirits. And to use a plant's beneficial properties was to actually communicate with the spirit of the plant. Wild. Yeah. That's very cool. I like the concept of blending some of that in. Yeah. And if our tabaxi believe that they will continue to exist as spirits, perhaps they don't really worry about their short-term goals as much. They might think somewhat similarly to an elf who knows that their time isn't short, but the tabaxi just think about it in a very different context. Well, I like the way that you're kind of approaching this because it plays into how I think a lot of people already play tabaxi as very carefree. And that kind of leans into not only that approach to life, but like I said, if they're not really concerned about death, I mean, you've got that aspect of their dangerous behavior. Yeah. 
and then you also have this world wanderer who really is not as concerned with trying to leave an impression upon the world or build a an empire that they're here to experience things take tales from their adventures and meet and trade and see the most they possibly can totally and that leads right into the next value of cross-cultural influence which comes again from that Mesoamerican side, their tombs were often found with items from the many cultures that they came into contact with. They were deeply invested in trade and agriculture. They would come into contact with dozens and dozens of other cultures that they were trading with. Yeah, and it'd be kind of fun for our tabaxi to have that value at the expense of power. Like, they're not trying to amass a fortune and dominate the world like so many of our D&D cultures end up desiring. <laughs> well, and I wonder how a tabaxi would really feel about somebody who did value power like that. Mm. Would you ever be able to trust somebody and their intentions with you unless they had just completely given up their interest in power? Tabaxi would be able to very easily trust one another because they know that they're not out to gain anything but a story and a friendship. Whereas, for instance, with an elf, who has some probably pretty lofty goals that they've got to achieve within this next thousand or so years. You know, they they have these grand machinations that they're trying to see through to a conclusion. And it's like, can I trust you? Because are you using me as a pawn in some scheme? I'm not really comfortable with that. It's kind of gross. You do you. Yeah. I'm going to go see somebody else. You've got these big end goals in your mind and not really focused on what we're doing here. Yeah. So like, go on your way. And finally, a really fun one is sport at the expense of warfare. And I just like this so much because so often in D&D, in our tabletop games, we have these cultures that are at war all the time. And it's, it's the easiest thing to do. It's the easiest conflict to create between cultures. Yeah. They're at war. So we're turning that one on its head by adding sport instead? Yeah. And that comes from the Mesoamerican cultures too. They had a ball game that had a deep meaning across the different cultures. And it was always kind of different depending on what culture and even what region of that culture you're talking about. Interesting. And there's some cases in which they were known to settle their differences with a game rather than going to war with each other. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but those ball games were pretty violent ball games, were they not? Uh, they absolutely could be. Okay. And there were all kinds of stakes involved that <laughs> I don't really want to delve into that side of the Mesoamerican culture too much. We could spend all day on, but as the inventors of rubber... A lot of their games involved a hefty ass rubber ball. Yeah. That would just decimate when it was passed to you. Yeah, it was up to nine pounds, depending on which ball you're talking about. <laughs> that's like a medicine ball. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> that's a weapon. That's not kid friendly. No. <laughs> all right. So from all of these values, now we need to create some beliefs. Yeah. We got our foundation and now we want to know how people in this culture actually speak to one another, what their thoughts look like. So here's one that spawns from the curiosity. There is no growth in ignorance. Fear not the unknown, for at its worst, it will send you to your ancestors, and you can share your failures with them. 
Oh, I, I'm really starting to dig this, like, death wish kind of culture. Like the, ah, whatever, I guess we'll see our, our ancestors. <laughs> let's uh, Let's get into some shit. Yeah, it's all good. Gotta make a good story. And in that storytelling vein, a tale well told will capture people far better than a crown well forged. That's good. I like the elegance of just that statement. That's quite nice. A tale well told will capture people far better than a crown well forged. So, yeah, I'm really digging the, like, you know, go off and build your massive towers. Who gives a shit, man? <laughs> like, you can't take it with you when you go to meet the spirits of yeah. your ancestors. With their flexibility, how about this? To outwit an opponent is the greatest victory. To be physically bested, the greatest defeat. See, this is interesting because for me, it conjures thoughts about the Goliath culture because that's my character in this game. <laughs> yeah. Goliaths are all about something kind of similar, but it's all about physical strength. Yeah. And it's all about trying to be the best at a particular thing. And I could very much see Tabaxi having the exact same approach but in a different direction. Like it was all about their agility and their cunning and yeah. all of the, that aspect of being the best. And I like the concept of even with their agility, I don't think that they would compete in a strictly agility way very often. It would always be like mixed with something else. Yeah. And that's why I really like the concept of the ball game because it's, it's their cunning as well as their agility. Totally. So the next section we like to think about is the cultural backstory. And there were some thoughts that were rolling around in my head before I actually got to the specific story points. In taking inspiration from cats, they don't have super well-defined social structures. So they're solitary hunters. And if there is some kind of a structure to it, it's based on what you see in a pride of lions. And the same behavior is seen in feral cats, domesticated cats. And the only reason you find a lot of cats in the same area is because... That area is rich in resources. Pretty simple. It kind of explains why they would be in the jungle is just that there's food and there's water and yeah. I could see this culture existing on a series of tropical jungle islands and, you know, a lot of different smaller communities from island to island and the trade between those islands being really, really important and every one of those islands being cared for and hunted carefully and traded carefully. So you've got resources on one island that another one doesn't have. And that's just creating this really kind of cool, but also distant social groups. And each one of those can be like distinct. They can have their own flavor. Yeah. When your party goes hopping from island to island. Then jumping over to Mesoamerican inspiration... They were pretty darn small groups until agriculture became a thing. Then you start to see those cities of thousands that developed temples and pyramids and so much more than that. But cats, tabaxi, might not develop that agriculture as much considering they are carnivores. I mean, this is a fantasy world, so do absolutely whatever you want. That just makes sense to me. I could also see hunting being a really core part of their culture and what excites them. Cats are hunters. You've got that parallel there. Yeah. Can you kind of imagine a tabaxi character in a party that's setting down to camp to be 
presented with prepared food. Like, if you've ever fed a cat from a dish, <laughs> from a can, they're just like, come on, man. <laughs> like, that disappointment. I'd be curious if a tabaxi would want to hunt all the time. Hmm. Like, an instinctual desire. Yeah, like, you guys settle on down. I'm going to go find some food. Or just every once in a while going like, I cannot eat this shit again. Can we please? <laughs> this is not moving. Can I please go eat something that is moving and is running from me? Trail rations suck. <laughs> and then, of course, you'd have that weird like cat open mouth chewing that. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not big on group meals like we in our culture are. Hmm. <laughs> that could be a thing. Yeah. So from all this, I think it'd be neat to have Fairly small groups of tabaxi, maybe 50 to 100, that, yeah, like you're saying, exist on those islands. They share all the elements of a core culture, but maybe their values diverge. And going with the territories that cats usually have, too, maybe there's neutral zones between the islands. Maybe there's waters that are fine for anyone to be in. Those are hunting grounds. They're fishing grounds. Whatever is sustaining those islands, that's all neutral space. There's rule-free trading zones. So next is what existed before the culture. So we have to have the conversation of, did tabaxi evolve humanoid features from cats? Or is this like a creation myth kind of thing? Yeah, creation of the gods. I, I mean, would... anything can happen. You could probably argue that, yeah, uh, cats got l more lean and slender and then uh, started walking upright. And if I were to go that route, though, I think tabaxi would look a lot different. It wouldn't be like, this is a jaguar person. It would be, this humanoid has traits like a cat, but it does not look like a cat <laughs> necessarily. Well, you and I have kind of had this conversation before around, you can see kind of a common ancestor in all of, Elves, dwarves, humans, halflings, like all of those people share a common ancestor, whereas tabaxi and as you start getting into some of the other, uh, you know, creature races, I think it's a lot easier to go with that whole like, hey, we live in a fantasy world and maybe the cat lord did this. Yeah. Said, you know, I need some followers. I need some brethren on this plane of existence. I like the concept of some kind of a, you know, cat deity just saying, I want to make these humanoids more in my image. And it's a blessing to them because I, as a cat-like god, thinks I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty dope. Yep. Look how limber I am. <laughs> my traits given to them are blessings. Yeah, I'm totally behind that. I think it'd be kind of cool if, if the way it started was, humans were struggling in these jungle locations and the cat lord or cat god, whatever, kind of was watching them from the outskirts and eventually decided to give them a chance. Well, especially if this is the cat god's domain, these jungle islands that we've discussed. Yeah. This is my home. And if you're going to survive here, I mean, really, if we talk about human or elven or all of that kind of history, probably a lot of it, especially human history in the real world, is constantly punctuated with stories of humans trying to go where they're not meant to live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just head out to this inhospitable land. Where, where will we die <laughs> the quickest? And where will the environment 
kill us in brutally horrific ways, like freezing us to death or, uh, you know, dying in the jungle of some kind of poisonous bite. Yeah. There's our islands. I could see a lot of the original explorers to these lands having died, but the ones that could humble themselves enough for the cat lord actually were like, okay, I'll give you some tips. Interesting. Now, I know we haven't discussed this in this episode yet, but you were actually telling me some stories about caves and how important caves were to the Mesoamericans. Yeah, that was kind of their spiritual place. That's where the spirits of the deceased lived. So what if this was like, that's where the cat lord, cat god, we're really going to have to settle on one of those. (laughs) That's where the domain is. You know, we've got cats being nocturnal creatures. Maybe the humans that landed on some of these islands showed so much resiliency to the inhospitable place that some went in and, you know, showed such tenacity and so many cat-like qualities that the cat god felt the need to bestow upon them the ability to flourish here, not just to survive, but to flourish. Yeah, exactly. And with that came the extra good mechanics that being a tabaxi gets you. (laughs) Well, we've kind of already hit the next step, which is what changed allowing the culture to form. So maybe that was the big change was, you know, they, they started to exhibit and show these signs of incredible traits that the cat god saw as awesome. Or maybe it was that shift from like being afraid of the dangers of this place to embracing them. Ooh, yeah. And starting to live more on the edge like we were talking about that curiosity about it rather than the fear of it. And those that were curious formed a group and that's the group that the cat lord decided to bestow with the rest. But we're still talking about maybe early stages of the formation of a tabaxi culture. Yeah. And now... Uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of years later, they're still flourishing on these islands. The old legends of where Tabaxia came from have long been written down or even forgotten. So next we need a culturally defining moment. Well, I could see something related to the ball game and how it got its significance. And it might be kind of neat if some kind of an opposing jaguar deity entered the picture. I kind of like the idea of the opposing deity to be another cat lord. Interesting. I like where you're going with that, but I'm curious if this is the kind of first contact story. Instead of another opposing deity, instead it was the first contact from outside of the tabaxi culture, what kind of opened up. And maybe it was actually an invading force that they had finangled into a game. Ooh, And that way you're talking about the loss of that game or the win of that game being the like the way we talk about winning and losing wars. Yeah. Well, I can see that because if the opposing force came in and like they do sometimes, they all of a sudden can't handle the environment. The tabaxi are like, hey, we'll help you survive and leave if you win this game. If not, you're done for. (laughs) That's where they first got some of the bigger ships that allowed them to traverse the open seas to the far reaches of the world that they inhabit. Yeah, a little bit of cultural sharing there. And the final prompt, which is what drives the culture to persist? Well, I think unlike other cultures that might just want to literally expand, again, the Tabaxi are going to want to expand their knowledge, their understanding of other cultures, and their and the technology 
that they can get from other cultures. I know we're not talking about like advanced technology in this fantasy world, but they're still going to pull stuff from other places. Oh, totally. And I mean, you can put that same filter on almost any tabaxi in any of the possible settings. Like even when you go to an, say, Eberron setting, if you have a tabaxi, then they're always seeking that latest and greatest of knowledge. Their curiosity drives them to learn more about those kind of technologies. And it really does make me wonder about how somebody like that would be received. If we were talking that, you know, say those islands still want to remain somewhat pristine, somewhat untouched, these tabaxi that we're encountering in the world at large, they're kind of like emissaries or traders. And I think that tabaxi have often been seen as those like outsiders. And I don't know, Skyrim did some stuff where they were like, ugh, tabaxi. They're, <laughs> well, it was... uh, what were they called? Khajiit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, th there's different things that have been done, but when somebody is coming from far away who is a world-renowned trader, if you're from a small town, you might revere them very differently. Yeah. I mean, in a world like this, they're going to be every town's source of knowledge and information about what other cultures are doing storytelling like we've talked about the goods that are being produced by these other cultures like they're gonna get you in touch with the rest of the world in a way that no one else can that's fair yeah i think that's great well now we really just need to slap on some cultural details which i know that you know you've prepared a couple of these i'm uh, i'm excited to dig into them so what's their dream life well, we've touched on this plenty, but uh, I think the dream life is just bringing a civilization-changing discovery back to one's own people. I could see these tabaxi behaving much like the, you know, wanderlust folks of modern day of like, I have a dream of visiting every country in the world. Yeah. And that I don't want to be tied down. You know, they're the people that are buying the Volkswagen vans in order to live that van life. <laughs> I like going one step beyond that and saying that they're not just out to see it all, but in the end, the ultimate great life of a tabaxi is being the one that changed things for their own people because change is inherent to the tabaxi. Mm. They changed to become what they are. What change will get them to the next phase in their own culture? That's interesting. And yeah. I want to be the one to herald that new. And that would push them to be greater, get to deeper depths yeah. and higher heights. And that would really push them to take some of those risks that we've established Tabaxi is doing. And I think that'll be what separates a character from just being a sightseer in your world, because that isn't super fun sometimes when you're like, look at this amazing place that you can discover. And it's like, cool, I've been here. I've seen it. <laughs> but no, they're going to figure out what's at the end of that trail. Yeah. Okay. What about a friendly culture? Who would be friendly to tabaxi in particular? Well, I think we should keep this prompt within tabaxi culture, just because you can kind of put them in whatever world you want. But this kind of expands upon the ideas we've been talking about. So like a friendly and a hostile culture could just be other tabaxi groups with a tweak on those values. A friendly one, let's say, is swapping out the spiritual contact value for artisanship, which is another highly valued trait among the Mesoamerican cultures. This would result in a culture that 
values the works they produce so much because it's a part of them that will last into the future. Interesting, yeah. Then the hostile culture is really easy. If you took the value of flexibility at the expense of directness, and then you played up that directness, you could have a tabaxi culture that is all about war, that more classic idea. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you've got one tabaxi culture that's always trying to sweep through and come to war, but the others are finding new ways to avoid that conflict and dodge it. With a rousing game of rubber ball. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Just get him to the game pit. Well, before you illustrated those other tabaxi cultures, the one thing that did pop to my mind would be a friendly culture with dwarves. Dwarves, they conjure the idea of being kind of insular in that, you know, they live in these big dwarven cities, deep in the mountains, that kind of thing. So if you have these kind of dwarves in your world, they might really love to see tabaxi coming because that's where they get all the most interesting things. Mm, things outside their own cave walls. Yeah. I mean, humans and halflings and orcs and all of these other cultures really don't strike me as being that insular. Like, they would get trade. Trade is happening all the time. But those dwarves, when they're with their big-ass walls and their big-ass doors, are just like, <laughs> nah, stay the F out. Plus, the dwarves might have a concept of everyone else wanting to take something from them. Yeah. Whereas tabaxi want to share. Exactly. All right, so now we have to go through all of their artifacts and clothing and those kind of details. So what about a tool? I think the rubber ball that we touched on. If I were playing a tabaxi character now, I would want to have a rubber ball. I would want to have that be my weird kind of thing that I play around with. Always bouncing something around. And what if you made it smaller? What if it was about the size of a racquetball or something like that, where you could really just kind of bounce it around and toss it? And you were always ready to settle a dispute with a quick game. <laughs> of any sort, yeah. What about a symbol? We don't have to get too much into detail about this, but I thought it would be kind of cool because the Mesoamericans had such a strong concept about the daytime being a land of the living and the nighttime and the caves being a land of the dead. Well, especially when, you know, for the Mesoamericans, they have the sun, that's what they grow food by. Right. Like, and also the jungle and... Central America was probably pretty dangerous, as we've already established. So, yeah, of course, like stay out during the day, go to bed at night. <laughs> yes, we as humans need that sun to stay away from our predators and stuff like that. But cat folk are going to be hunting by night. Like that's when they're best. Yeah. I mean, if you roll into a tabaxi culture in the middle of the day, they're probably like just a few guards posted because they're they're all sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> So I think the moon would be a cool symbol to play around with a bit more. Very cool. What about an animal? Well, just to mimic the dynamic between humans and cats, <laughs> I think you should do small monkeys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I see. So they've got these small pet monkeys coming yeah. from their tropical yeah. jungle islands. Okay. Right. <laughs> it works, That's doesn't nice. it? It's adorable. <laughs> it likes to... It likes to cuddle every once in a while. Yeah. Chases the ball. Yeah. <laughs> what about phrases? Well, I found this one from Ira Glass, who's done a lot, but big uh, journalist, podcast producer, that said, great stories happen to those who can tell them. I think that would probably be a powerful concept to the tabaxi. Yeah. 
those that can tell great stories are going to have grand adventures. They go together hand in hand. Yeah. I like that. Tabaxi style. Well, we've been talking about the fact that they're on these islands. They're surrounded by the ocean. Something else that kind of blends in with that and fits that traveler vibe is if they had the style of pirates. All right. Yeah, I could totally see that. It fits really nicely, actually. Yeah, let's blend that into the mix. I mean, they're going to be excellent sailors. Tabaxi ships are going to be... They're going to be so good at sailing because of their climbing abilities. That makes total sense. And in addition to that, that really kind of helps ground Tabaxi into this, you know, fictional fantasy world, whatever it is. I could see them kind of bringing that pirate culture and style to the typical, like, European fantasy medieval kind of vibe that most of the rest of these fantasy worlds have. So they're bringing that that current style there. Mm-hmm. Any ideas for gestures? Uh, I don't have a ton of ideas for, like, what a good tabaxi gesture is. Like, they could do something with their claws. That jumps right to mind. But it's been studied that cat's tail movements are great indicators of their mood. So I wonder if instead of a typical gesture, if insight checks would be doubly difficult against another tabaxi because you're unconsciously telegraphing your mood based (laughs) on your tail's movements. So tabaxi can read each other better and people outside of that culture have a much more difficult time with it. Yeah. Unless they've, you know, studied that culture or something like that. Sure. What about a greeting? I think this can be pretty simple. Just something like, share a tale or enlighten me. I like that. I, I like the greeting of a tabaxi walking up to the another party member and saying, enlighten me. Yeah. like, And it kind of means like, what's happened between now and the last time I saw you? Yeah. What new information? What, what story? What yeah. Yeah. And then we need a positive and kind of a negative reaction. Right. Like those in the moment things that you say. And this is just a weird one that I think would be fun to say, kind of ties in with their values, but ripened spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I could see that like being a a kind of like a tropical fruit kind of, you know, it's like, yeah. Ties in a bit. It's delicious. It's wonderful. (laughs) Whatever it is. I like you. Your spirit's good. Yeah. Or just when a good thing happens. And then when a bad thing happens, I think they would say something that would express how kind of trapped they feel because that goes against all of their cultural values of like wanting to explore and wanting to interact with the spirit realm and wanting to be curious and just all of it. Sure. And if they just said something like I'm tethered. I like that. Kind of like I'm pissed, but their version of it. Yeah. Like I'm down. I'm, I'm stuck. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anything that expresses the fact that they feel rooted in place. Because that is a bad feeling for a tabaxi. Sure, that totally works. What about the uh, the final goodbye? They're saying goodbye to the party. I await your next discovery. <laughs> Until the next time we trade. Yeah, lots of fun options. Well, very good. I don't think we have time to get into it, but I'm sure we can throw it up on the actual episode post. But you have some loose guidelines and rules for... Uh, tabaxi ball game well yeah i was sitting there thinking about it and i just kind of got carried away and i had to explore (laughs) as you do how i would run that if it were to come up in a game it's got some basic rules to it 
that I think kind of work within the uh, the world of D&D mechanics because that was kind of the trick. But one of my favorite things is that kind of like Calvin Ball, each group, each team that participates in this game gets to bring one weird rule into it. One of their like <laughs> home rules. <laughs> I like that. It's like a trading of rules between, you know, it, this could go all the way back to those individual Tabaxi Islands. But like, hey, we have this home rule. You have your home rule. We're going to merge them together. If they don't immediately conflict, then we play by those rules. And yeah, it's like a sharing a cultural exchange yeah. of their own homebrew rules. That's good. And it lets you get really weird with D&D. Like it lets you <laughs> do some interesting things with a simple game. Yeah, you can get kind of improv with it. And the reason I, I went down that road was when I was reading about the Mesoamerican uh, rules of this ball game, I was really curious and I wanted to know how they played it. But there's a lot of discussion and debate over what that actually looked like because there's so many different representations of it. Oh. Like pictures that they've found on pieces of art and things show large balls, small balls, using their hands, using bats, using knees. So it's like the rules clearly weren't the same across the board. I see. Yeah, that's really neat. And that's a kind of a nice way to pay some tribute to the originators of this idea. Well, you can take a look at those rules on the episode post of this episode on our website, hookandchance.com. Hopefully you got some fun ideas for your own tabaxis the next time you got to run them. Yeah. Let us know what uh, came to your mind while you're listening or while you think about tabaxi. How did you interpret this episode for your character? Well, we're going to stop by the Griffin Street Market. Must have provisions and supplies can be found for the right price at the Griffin Street Market. Step right up. We have a very exclusive, amazing item for you. Jordan, tell them what we got. <laughs> we got something that's such a treat. It can make you rich, let you erase a bad decision, grant you a mega powerful weapon, grant you land, even give you the power to wish for anything. The deck of many things. Holy fuck, put that away. That is the most dangerous thing. <laughs> that has ever existed. Well, sure, it can suck your soul into a void if you're worried about that kind of thing, but it's got the upsides. <laughs> I guess if you love to gamble with your life. Okay, sorry, no, that's uh... We'll put that in the lockbox. Yeah, maybe, maybe bury that. And put a, a vague warning on the box <laughs> if anyone finds it. I think there is a lot less chance that your soul will be sucked into a void or you'll be followed by the avatar of death uh, if you use describe instead. Sure. <laughs> the chances decrease by a factor of thousands, at it, least. And it does very different things for you. It gives you an incredible amount of box text. It's given me a completely different perspective on descriptions that I use in my games now. Like, it's so easy to be flexible in these open-world games that I run because sometimes the description even spurs my own creativity as a DM when I'm missing some, you know, details. You can almost use Describe like a training program. Like, get in there, you subscribe for a certain amount of time, and you can use it to train yourself to do better descriptions. Like, you just get to see 
those wonderful patterns that go into every handcrafted description by professional writers, and you really start to get a sense of how to do it on the fly. Yeah. So check them out. It's D-S-C-R-Y-B, Describe. They've got 1,400 plus box text for you covering spells, monsters, places, NPCs, items. They're constantly adding new creative options. They just threw up a couple, like uh, a kobold named Callus Volus the Ruby or a chilling description of going underground called Meeting the Deep. Jesus, that sounds cool. And their goals with each of these are to describe the sensory experience, set a narrative tone, and give you a prompt for action and role play. Can you take us through an example? Let's try polymorph go the caterpillar cocoon in your hand feels cold and brittle and as you complete the incantation it crumbles between your fingers a strange sensation overtakes you that of an inspired artist a sculptor fueled by sudden creativity <laughs> that's very cool what did you polymorph into a fruit bat <laughs> Of course. Of course that would be what you would choose. Yeah. Well, you can check them out. It's D-S-C-R-Y-B dot com. And if you go to describe.com forward slash hook, you can also use the promo code hook at checkout for 10% off. Neat. And with that, I guess we'll wander back to Temple of Inspired Hands. This is the Temple of Inspired Hands, where amazing products and revolutionary ideas are brought to light. Okay, so we're going against our own rules. Good. Who needs them? Throw rules out. You and I have been approached by dice companies and other stuff like that to be some kind of ambassadors or, you know, the like. And that's not to say that dice aren't a tremendous addiction, but we just, it's hard to get kind of jacked up about dice when anything you can do to dice is, really boils down to like, hey, we made it out of this. <laughs> we made this one out of whalebone, and we made this out of silly putty, and we made this one out of, or these ones have sparkles in them. Old cheese. <laughs> Got that set of, you are the most unpopular player at your table if you've got a dice set made out of old cheese that I like to suckle upon oh, during gameplay. Gross. <laughs> I could taste that. <laughs> the other one that we have not been the hugest fans of, and I think we've maybe been a little harsh in the past on this podcast, on random tables. Yeah, and the reason I generally have a problem with random tables is because they're presented as the way to play. And it's like, they should be sold as inspiration for whatever you want to do. Yeah. And I know that's how a lot of people end up using them. But sometimes when I'm reading a random table and it says like, just roll on this random table and you've got a game. And it's like, well, maybe, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's probably not going to be very cohesive. It's random. However, there are some great ways to use random tables. So we are going to break both of our own rules and we're going to talk about random tables and a cool new dice project that's coming out. So the first one is the random tables. Roll and Play, the fantasy character kit for GMs and players, is on Kickstarter right now. Very good. 
by the time this episode comes out, I think there'll be about maybe 17-ish days left. And what's it do? Well, this I can actually get super behind. I'm mega excited for it. We've already backed it. We've got the book coming uh, one day when the Kickstarter is finished. But it's a book full of random tables to flesh out and create more in-depth and unique characters. And this is where random tables really excel. There are There is a book that's full of 13 separate chapters. You've got chapters for fleshing out your artificer and tinkerer. For barbarians and mercenaries. For fighters and soldiers. It, the list goes on and on, but every type of character class is in there. And some of the tables are really cool. Like for instance, for the wizards and enchanters, there's lists for the animal form of your faithful familiar and its personality. It looks like it's got details for the style of tome that is their spell book. For paladins, you've got their sacred rites and their quotable proverbs just at the ready. So this is a really cool tool if you're a player or even if you're a DM and you're wanting to quickly whip out a neat NPC that feels unique and real. This is a great way of going about it. And this is where random tables shine, where it can give you some fun details in the moment. I love it. They also have some wicked art on the cover. You can get uh, special edition covers and stuff like that. So it's, it's a really neat looking Kickstarter. I'm pretty stoked for it. And we, yeah, we backed it and I'm super, super excited to start using it. I can see this being really helpful when you're introducing new players to a game like D&D because sometimes they don't understand all of those fantasy tropes that we're super familiar with. Yeah. And these tables can kind of get them rolling down that path. Absolutely. It's often really challenging as a new player when you're sitting down, you're going, I don't know what to make. What do I make? And this can help you avoid ending up playing that really one-dimensional character. Yeah. And then you got some dice. Not just any dice. These dice. It would take something pretty special to get me excited about more dice. I've got so many dice. And it's got to be tech related because that excites you. And for me, it's edible. But I know these aren't going to be edible. <laughs> you really want some edible dice, huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Anything is edible if you're not a quitter. <laughs> the first time I've ever seen anything like this, it's very interesting they are LED light-up dice that will respond to your rolls. They're completely customizable via an app. And that means that when you roll a nat 20, it is going to be a freaking light show on your table. <laughs> Very good. Especially if you're playing in pitch black. Now, the really interesting part is that these dice charge via a little wireless container that you can put them in. They last a long, long ass time. And the most incredible bit is that they're actually balanced. Having LEDs inside a dice mixed with a, a wireless charger, you know, you're thinking, okay, there's got to be some tech in there and it's got to be off balance. How do you make a balanced dice? Yeah. Well, they're not that much bigger than regular sized dice. And within them, you can see on their Kickstarter that they've worked this out somehow. Probably magic, if yeah, I were to guess. Probably. But they're entirely balanced dice. And wildly, 
they're actually more accurate than Chessex dice. You know, the dice brand that is everywhere. Like, everybody has a set of Chessex dice. They're kind of the first dice set that you ever get. Yeah. Before you start getting into the weird shit. <laughs> yeah, they're actually more accurate than the typical plastic dice that you would get because they're filled with less impurities oh. um, because, of course, they have electronics inside them. Interesting. And how do they react to my clammy, sweaty palms while I'm rolling? Um, well, Are I don't they... know about yours specifically because you have... Impressive levels? Yes. <laughs> they Honestly, you should see a doctor. <laughs> However, uh, yeah, these ones are actually totally waterproof. Excellent. So you can sweat them up, I guess. <laughs> well, this Kickstarter is actually, for once, we're not giving you 30 seconds to act on something. <laughs> uh, you know well in advance, this Kickstarter is going live March 9th, 2021. So get some fun, funky light-up dice. They're called Pixels. The electronic dice, and I cannot wait to start customizing all my own colors and patterns and all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, they've also talked about connecting these. I'm not sure what the details are. I mean, it's vague. The Kickstarter hasn't even gone live, but they're talking about how it can actually be connected to virtual tabletop systems and things like that potentially in the future. Oh, that's cool. So that gets over that whole, I want to roll dice, but I want to play online, but nobody online trusts me rolling my real dice. Yeah. Because you're a cheater. Yeah. My all 20s dice. <laughs> Just a piece of paper that says 20 on it, and I point at it. 20. Look, 20. Again. <laughs> and we also have a new review. What a delight. Although this one is particularly, it has a challenge embedded within it. Did you step up to the challenge? Um. Well, <laughs> let's see. Let's give her a go, shall we? I didn't. Bester Rollenspiel Podcast mit Abstand. Fünf Sterne. <laughs> how am I doing? Well, from my perspective of being totally unsure of how it's supposed to sound, sounds great. This podcast is mit Abstand der Beste. Do you have any idea, any iota of a thought of if I you're doing this right? No fucking clue. <laughs> and actually, I'm probably pissing off a lot of Germans right now. I recognize Dungeon Master in there, which is good. D&D. Uh, yep. &D. So I'm pretty sure it's for us. I know that that's <laughs> vaguely within our sphere. Should I try and butcher the rest of this? Um, I'm going to say absolutely not. Witten des Internets. I'm going to take a stab. Hold on. This podcast is, and we already saw Abstand, so I think it's either best or worst. <laughs> but it... Probably worst. Yeah, probably worst. <laughs> and undetzillen, undetzillen, win des internets. So either we are the best or we are the worst podcast on the internet. That's... Nice. Either way, we're doing something extreme. <laughs> be uh, If you're going to be anything, be number one in something. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we need to lean on Google Translate for the rest of this because I have no clue what I'm saying, and I could very easily be saying something horribly offensive in German. Well, I'm going to go ahead and take over and uh, read it in English, because this has got to be a terrible audio experience listening to you butcher German. <laughs> yes, it 100% is. Best RPG podcast by far. Five stars. 
This podcast is by far the best in the vast expanses of the internet devoted to D&D. It is aimed more at the dungeon masters among us, but there's always something for gamers too. The two hosts are brothers from Canada and have great chemistry. Mega personable. Everyone who speaks the English language and is interested in the biggest role-playing game in the world should give this a listen. And that comes to us from Draupa via Apple Podcasts. Well, that was much nicer than it could have been. And it does raise an interesting question of when are you going to learn German so that we can get a, another language? Right, right, right. Yeah, like... We could be recording this in full German, too. Yeah. That's fair. Why <laughs> stop there? Yeah, seriously. Our recording days just got like eight hundred times longer <laughs> <laughs> re-record the entire podcast in german well thank you for making us deeply uncomfortable with our uh, linguistic skills and for the kind kind words yes we really appreciate it uh feel free if you want to give the podcast some love you can go to hookandchance.com forward slash reviews and you can leave a note there or you can use apple podcasts or there's a couple others out there where you can leave your kind, kind words. But if you just tell your pet cat or budgie, I mean, that's nice, too. Puts Closest good energy human. into the world. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have opposable thumbs to press play on their... Right. We're supposed to recommend they share it with their friends, not yes. their pets. Yeah. <laughs> Got <laughs> it. Well, thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Reddit. You can join an awesome community of players and DMs by joining the Hook and Chance Discord. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, and, and I shall craft great. every flavor of cheese dice. <laughs> it will be an empire. These are my dice. <laughs> <laughs>